right, here we go. This is No Laugh Track Podcast, episode number 135. Thank you to Circle of Heat for letting us play your uh, your music there at the beginning, as always. Uh, if you haven't yet, leave a comment, review it for us on iTunes. Right now, time to introduce my guest. He's back again, second time on this podcast, Roy Wood Jr. I thought I did your podcast twice already. Just what once with right? me, man. All right. If you say so, then I don't know what other white dude I talked to in Minnesota. <laughs> it might no, it was Tom's. Okay, all right, it's all coming back to me now. Yeah, you're right. It was once. Yep, I'm yep. sorry. See, see, because no, because the other time I was here was with the Sullivan and Son crew. Exactly. So we didn't do the whole podcast. No, you were ever. just here for a weekend thing, right? Yeah. Yep. I and, but remember it, that. You guys came in studio over at KQ. With us, and one of you, you know, and didn't uh, make it that morning. I don't remember who. <laughs> it was either Matt or Owen. Yeah, Burns always present. Oh yeah, he was there. <laughs> it's his show. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. he'll show up for stuff. <laughs> He's very responsible. Yeah, man. Well, thank you for having me back, nonetheless, man. I appreciate it. So Hell yeah. Uh, you didn't. You didn't uh, do the normal week here. You weren't here Tuesday. But I watched you on my TV Tuesday. Well, you know, now you know why I wasn't here on Tuesday. Yeah. I, yeah, I got to do At Midnight. Yeah. So I got to swing on by the Comedy Central Studios in Los Angeles and chop it up with Chris Hardwick and the Nerdist and all of that stuff, which is just kind of weird for me because I don't know how much of that is my comedic strong suit. Really? Think so? Because it's so quick, off-the-cuff style humor. Yeah. And so much of my comedy is just calculated anger <laughs> yeah. and, you know, frustration and annoyances and grievances. So to be asked instantaneously about something that happened two hours ago, what do you think about Katy Perry's titties? Or what about, um, did you see Randy Quaid say something crazy? Warren Sapp likes prostitutes. Like, what do you have to say about that? Like, I would need three weeks of proper analysis of all of the facts <laughs> to really put it together and then give a calculated opinion. But, you know, it's a half-hour game show. They don't have time for that. How much prep do they give you that day? Mm, about two hours of prep time. Yeah. They give you the story, saying, you know, here's here's everything we're going to talk about. And everything doesn't make it to air, but, you know, right. if they cover 12 topics, you'll probably see 10 on the show, something like that. Jackie Cation was here last week, and she's been on At Midnight, and she was wearing her T-shirt from the show. Did you get a T-shirt? Yeah, I got a T-shirt, but that shit fits like a fucking wetsuit. <laughs> <laughs> That's not Fat fair. Like, I'm, a, I'm a double X, and all of these TV shows, they just give you mediums. Like they, It's just some sort of blanket. This was probably the cheapest right. we could make this shirt we really don't care but we kind of care we don't want you to leave empty-handed it's the thought that really counts don't give a shit if it fits you <laughs> same thing with letterman ferguson in fact every television show i've done give, they've given me a shirt that was too small that was too small except for bet they don't give you anything no fuckers <laughs> it's cheap whatever i i kind of wish i had a t-shirt to give you today <laughs> it's too small <laughs> make sure it's a large or it's something stupid that'll shrink or it's one of those la double x's i call it a los angeles double x oh right it's for like just mm -hmm. anorexic toothpick yeah yep. <laughs> how, how was the show here last night uh everything was great last night it's been about a year since i've been back in minneapolis so it's it's good to see 
more people coming out to see me, but I'm also excited about some of the newer material that I'm writing and just mentally I feel like I'm going to some darker places. I'm not a dark comic per se. Right. I don't think I'm, you know, Jesselnick or, you know, Stanhope in no. terms of my topics. But if you compare the stuff I talk about now to five to eight years ago, then yeah, there's definitely been a couple of bad relationships <laughs> sprinkled in there. Uh-huh. That always helps for some material. Yeah, so I mean everything was fine. It was good. Yeah. Who you're working with Amber Preston, I think, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. She's fun. Yeah. She's fun. I was with her last time. Oh really? Yeah. So I mean we'll oh, that works to so that. Well. Yeah. So it's fine. I I'm not one of those guys that really cares much about who my openers are. I, the only thing that I don't like, um, I don't know how to put this without pissing off. It, it, <laughs> the only thing I don't like is lazy comedians and clubs that promote and condone it. Mm-hmm. You know, Minneapolis is a market where they do a great job of cultivating local talent and giving comics a chance to properly matriculate through the process of learning the art form that is stand-up comedy. Whereas you'll go to some markets and they'll just put whoever the hell on stage who does not care about what they're doing and they half-ass it. And to me, those people are taking stage time away from hungrier comics. Mm -hmm. And I get offended when I see that. Yeah, good. And, you know, so in those markets, I do try to bring my own opener if I can. You know, I don't feel like I have that amount of leverage just yet to be able to do that. However, you know, in the markets that will allow me to do it, I do it. Nice. In a heartbeat, man. Did you see the, uh, I mentioned, we talked about it last week on the podcast, but uh, did you see the Louis C.K. sent out that email last week and mentioned all the great clubs yeah. that he likes? Yeah. He, he mentioned Acme. Yeah, he yeah. congratulated Acme. Uh-huh. Um, and the owner, Louis Lee, of course. And he shitted on Harvey's in Portland. <laughs> is that something you agree with or i'm indifferent i've never indifferent. worked harvey's i've heard i've heard the book of there is a little odd okay but, you know i don't size them up until i meet them myself yeah. i just never just never got in over there there's just certain clubs or just just certain cities i'm just like fuck it i'm not gonna work there until i'm selling tickets and then they'll call me yeah you know i'm not gonna at this point in my career book the owner of harvey's <laughs> you know Good Nights and Raleigh Durham is probably another one that I'll probably never work until I'm at a different plateau hmm. or something like that. I think every comic has a handful of cities where he just knows, yeah, I'll probably never be back there until this, this, and this changes. Like the middle for me, Little Rock, uh, Wichita, Oklahoma City. Um, I'd even throw in Memphis. And, you know, a lot of it has to do with the local clubs and a lot of those markets not really wanting to pay you what you want now. And then some of it has to do with some of those huh. bookers just never really liked you when you came up as an MC. So it's like, why bother? Yeah. Why bother going back if you're a headliner? If you're making enough money other places and you can fill your calendar out, then, you know. Have you found places where that's changed, where people are like, they didn't like you at one point, and now they're like, hey, we got a spot for you. Mm. Right here, Roy. I started working the comedy zone again, you know, and they were never, they were never really mean to me per se. I just think, you know, in the clubs that are more meaningful in the comedy zone chain, which for those who don't know, it's predominantly the Southeast from, let's say, 
Orlando, swing it on up to about Charleston, West Virginia. Just that eastern point, you know, all points east of Nashville, you know, that's their domain. And as a Southern comic coming up, you know, I worked a lot of rooms for them as a middle act and some stuff as a headliner, but some of the more major rooms when I was ready to start headlining, you know, either the booker or those club owners at that time were like, nah, we want to see Roy come back and feature. And I was just saying, I don't want to feature. Damn. So I'll go, I'll just go work somewhere else, which means you work less. But once you decided on what you are, you got to stick to it as a comic because once you give in and take that feature money again, <laughs> they'll never see you. <laughs> if you believe you're a headliner, then you have to stick to those guns. Now, you also have to get on the stage and deliver. Mm-hmm. You know, And I, I would still go through and do guest sets at these rooms. It was never a problem. If I had a college that was close, I'd swing by. So I kept my head in the door, and then, you know, lo and behold, like, I – Guy, they sent a couple of offers in to, to have me headline. I, granted, during that time, I did a pretty good job of building my resume a little bit deeper. So, you know, that definitely helped. But, you know, ultimately, I think it was about just trying to, I don't want to say get respect, but, you know, certain rooms are just like, I'm not, and it wasn't so much the fact that they wouldn't headline me as it was the people they had me featuring for. And I think that was what I more took an issue with with a lot of clubs when I started looking at what I was doing. And a lot of comics go through this with all rooms. It's not an indictment on the comedy zone. It's more of an indictment of other comics who are lazy creative. (laughs) And I go, well, fuck, if he's doing that and he gets paid twice what I'm getting paid, I want to make what he's making. Damn right. Well, we don't want to. Because if you look at it as a club owner, why would you let a funny opener move up to headliner when you can have a funny opener and a funny headliner and yeah. have a better show? Uh-huh. I'm all for it. I understand the the reason why you don't want to move me up. It's like having a really good backup quarterback. How long is he going to stay a backup? That's right. Sooner or later, he's going to want to start. So you either got to go to you know you got to trade him or you know make a change in your offense. Someday you have to trade Tom Brady to give Tom, uh, or I mean, trade Drew Bledsoe to give Tom yeah, Brady a chance. Exactly, yep. something like that. It, that analogy works. It, <laughs> it's it's one of those things where I was like, well, if those guys are doing that, I want to do what they're doing. If I can't do it here, I'll go do it somewhere else. And I didn't take offense to it. Yeah, I'm never offended by no. I'm offended by being ignored. It's probably the only thing that annoys me or gets me upset. In this business. How about no with an explanation, though? That's fine. Yeah. You can say, fuck no, hell no, (laughs) nigga, never. (laughs) I heard some booker said that about me. It was a black booker. Somebody was like, I asked him if he was going to ever have you in the room. He said, nigga, never. (laughs) Which is like a hell no and fuck no rolled in the (laughs) one. Yeah, it is. It's like way worse. <laughs> just no. It's just hell fuck me. Feel free to no. take this personally. <laughs> Remind um, me, what was the uh, your first time at Acme? Was it headlining? You know, I don't know. Probably so. This shit's too far to drive from Birmingham. Yeah. <laughs> it had to have been because yeah. I never worked here as, as an opener. Like yeah. I look at my first nine years. Of everywhere I performed, never made it to Minneapolis. Okay. I probably got as far north. You know, I did 
you know, I was way up north of Green Bay. I guess if I'm going to drive that far north, I could have come, you know, six hours west yeah. and done, done this club. But once I heard what the local scene was like and that it was very hard for out-of-towners to get work here as an opening act, I was like, yeah. it's just, it was just one of those rooms I designated, all right, I got to be headliner to yeah. work there, so screw that room. Chicago was the same way. You know, I got a couple of MC gigs in Chicago, but that's because I lied and said that I was local, and I stayed at my aunt's house, <laughs> who lived like an hour and a half away in the suburbs. It's a brutal commute in every day. Like, I had to leave the house at five o'clock for an eight o'clock show, yeah, just because the traffic was so atrocious. Or I could leave at two o'clock and get to town at three, but now I have nothing to nothing do. to do. Yeah, where are you going to spend the time in yeah, your car? It was like two thousand two. There's no Wi-Fi. <laughs> <laughs> there's Wi-Fi, but it's just it, the internet's not what it is no, now. No. Internet cafe, you might have to go yeah. find one of those. Go to Kinko's or FedEx office, <laughs> mooch off of their shit for free. It used to be easier to steal internet from FedEx. They got hip to it. So people like me. <laughs> Would you move next door? I like to feel like I promoted change. No, man. In the early days, FedEx office and Kinko's, it was like the honor system, basically, where. The computers were open. Like, there was no insert your credit card to activate this computer. To time. go in the store and use them. You go in the store and go, hey, I want to use a computer. He goes, all right, sign in. It's like the public library. And you pay $0.10 cent a minute or so, whatever. Yeah. And I'd sit there for four hours. And then I'd go over and sign in and go, well, how long were you on the computer? 20 minutes. <laughs> and I'd pay my $2 for four hours of internet. <laughs> I mean, you still pay for printing and stuff like that, but yeah, it, it was it was definitely a flawed system, and I think they realized that <laughs> very fast. So then you moved to the library. Yeah, yeah, no, hell no, library's horrible internet speed. <laughs> That's <watch> true. Porn. <laughs> That's true. Did you see the chick that got you're you're up on pop uh, culture as we were discussing? Uh, did you see the girl that got busted doing the live sex show in the? college library no i didn't yeah but a week ago what happened how this it's it was uh she was doing you know one of the uh like a live you know webcam where guys can go in and watch her but instead of doing it from her bedroom she was doing it from her college library and then someone busted her you could see they have the video it's like a half an hour long video not that i watched it and you could see people walking in the background every now and then but at one point she pulls them out that at one point she pulls it down and starts you know diddling herself right in the school library nice yeah and it, like you see the police walk up no no they 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 busted her after it was all oh, done she was gone in. someone snitched yeah, recognized her and snitched university of, well, what was that person doing on the sex line <laughs> I heard about this from a friend, friend yeah, of a friend sure of a friend. You did. <laughs> Probably jacked off first. And then, and then For sure. Snitched. <laughs> Assholes. Yeah. Where are you? Where are you living now, Roy? I'm still in L.A. I yeah. went home to Birmingham back in 2010 for two years to host my own radio show. And no sooner than I got home to start doing that, I booked the sitcom Sullivan, and so yeah. so I had to go back to L.A. to start doing that. Yep. So that was, you know, kind of the issue. So ever since then, I've been back in L.A. Because I went to L.A. in 07, left after three or four years, and, you know, went home for a year and a half and then back to L.A. And you were doing morning radio, weren't you? Yeah, yeah. yeah that was, But, you know, it was on the same station that I started at as an intern back in 01. So yeah. you get a chance to host in your hometown. You can't say no to that. But yeah. Just the 
the production schedule of sitcoms versus sitcom plus radio plus travel as a comic, one of them had to go. Yeah, right, right. Like health was starting to fade horribly. Yeah. It was not a good situation. Can only take so much. <laughs> what? Uh, how many episodes of no, Sullivan and Son is done? Uh, we did thirty three before they took us off life support. Uh, TBS got a new boss of programming, and he just wanted to go a different direction with shows. It's not that our numbers were garbage, but mm-hmm. you know, it is what it is. Yeah. You know, it, it's a blessing to have it gone to to have had it gone that far. As it did, you yeah. Know? When you look at so many shows that don't even make it on air, and when they do, they get pulled. I mean, you, you can just search. Just there's just a there's a website called TVbythenumbers dot com. It's just a graveyard, yeah, of television shows, and it, and those shows made it out of the probably two hundred shows that are pitched. That every are even year. pitched, they, right? Yeah. So it's it's crazy that we even got on the air and stayed on the air. And did it for three years. That's got to yeah. Tip your hat to that. As far as I'm concerned, hell so, yeah. You know, they uh, cock reload and try and do it again. I the comic uh, Tom Rhodes, you mm-hmm. know him, Tom. He um, he had a TV show like in the I don't know 10, 15 years ago called Mister Rhodes. Yeah, and he just posted. I'd never seen it. He posted the pilot on YouTube, or someone did, and he tweeted it yesterday, and I watched like the first <laughs> ten minutes. Like, holy shit! Is it horrible? It's not. It's you wouldn't it's, have watched the second episode. I don't think I would have. I like Tom, but I wouldn't have watched the second episode. <laughs> He's almost unrecognizable, and it's you know, it's got a laugh track, and it's just I don't. It's oh, uh, no. I wasn't crazy about it, but it was wanna, pretty funny to just to watch it. I want to do a YouTube channel, or it should be a TV channel just dedicated to canceled shows. Mm-hmm. Where it's just all one episode shows, and the network is called just <laughs> one off, so just whatever. <laughs> it's just shows that only ran like four episodes or five episodes, and you just talk about them like masterpiece theater or some <laughs> shit. <laughs> You just analyze the simple nuances of this single episode. Yeah, but you know, LA people are so sensitive; they'll be insulted by it. <laughs> How dare you insult my work, you son of a bitch! I guarantee that. I saw you on uh, Late Night with Seth Meyers. Did that in the last since the last time you were in town, dude? That is a cool ass show. Yeah. Now, granted, I'm still a Conan. I'm still a Conan guy, mm-hmm. you know, because. Conan, uh, granted, that was my first time ever doing Seth Meyers, and you never know what late night hosts what you're going to get. Yeah. Right? I never met Craig Ferguson. They shoot the stand up segment separate. I've heard that. From when he's even there. Like, you know, I saw him briefly backstage, and, you know, he shook a hand, but as far as out on stage, when they, uh, like, the warm up guy introduces you, and then they somehow edit in Craig Ferguson saying, Give it up for Roy Wood Jr. It is the weirdest shit. Um, didn't meet Letterman. Um, the you didn't man, even get the handshake at the end? I got the handshake at the end, yeah. but I'm talking like pre-show chum it up type okay. stuff. Yeah, like yeah. Pre-show, nah. I hear Leno comes in the green room. I never did Leno. Uh, I've never done Fallon. Uh, Conan has always been personable I've heard that. to me. Like that. Yeah, of, of all the late night shows, I've done that one the most. What about Arsenio, man? He was on for a year. Never got on it. Never got on it. Submitted tape. And by the time I submitted tape to do his show, they canceled it. And, you know, I was, 
I was hoping to get on there because there were certain jokes that I knew I could do there that I wouldn't be able to do anywhere else really? on television. Oh, yeah. yeah. You're dealing with a more black-minded audience. They're not necessarily a black audience, but I just knew the type of show, the type of person he is, the type of booker he worked with. They were going to green light some shit that I know Conan's people were not gonna green light so i was excited like, hell yeah i finally get to say this on tv really oh no i don't <laughs> so. did you watch his show back in the 90s yeah, yeah. hell yeah. yeah i mean i was a fan i mean he talked to all the people that i identified with as far as you know entertainment yeah black entertainment so yeah i loved the show man that was hype arsenio i don't i know i rarely missed it I haven't seen him in a long time. I met him once when I did that Star Search reboot for CBS back in 2003, and he was the host. And he saved me from what probably would have been me embarrassing myself. Uh, I won't say ruining my career, but close. Thankfully, this happened before YouTube. It happened before there was a lot of ways to rip video and put it online. Um, so I'm on, to, I'm on Star Search, and these fuckers, B2K, are the celebrity guest judges. There's Ben Stein, there's Amit Zappa, and one of the judges. I don't fucking know which one. There's too many judges. <laughs> it wasn't the sexy one okay. that likes University of Kentucky. It was one of the other ones. Um, Naomi. There you go. It was Naomi Judd. And it's B2K. Those are the four judges. B2K gives me one out of five stars. And they're 13 years old. And they go, we don't really, we ain't really feeling what you was talking about. Motherfucker. <laughs> You're 13. You couldn't expect that. And in actuality, I should have been lashing out at the producers for allowing 13-year-old singers to tell me that I'm not funny. Yeah. And the moment they said it, I don't know what happened. They go, we gave you one star, man. We're just not feeling you. And I took a step towards them. <laughs> I don't know what I was going to do. What? I don't know what the fuck I was going to say. But I, my <laughs> foot comes off the ground to take the first step towards them. And it was like Arsenio Hall knew. It's, it's like he knew. what, like As a black man, he knew how it made me feel and he knew what my reaction was gonna, was about to be and this is on live television this show is pulling 9 10 million viewers and if you watch it on television you can't even see it that's how fucking smooth it is he grab he's standing next to me while I'm getting my scores and he grabs the cuff of my suit he grabs the sleeve of my suit and just a quick tug like just a quick tug and his mic is at his chest. He drops his mic down to his waist so that so that the so that no one can hear this but us. Yeah. He pulls me um by the sleeve and he goes, uh-uh. And that's all he said. He goes, uh-uh. No way. And he brings the mic back up. Yes, thank you, B2K. Holy Next shit. up, Ben Stein. What did you think of Roy? And it was fluid, it was effortless, but it was just a half second of him telling me reconsider what you're about to do wow and i stopped so i get we get the scores and then you go to the break and then they decide which one of you goes home or whatever and shit and like during the break like there's like 
we'll be back with more Star Surge. Mm-hmm. And the producer's like, and we're clear. He turns to me, he just goes, don't do that, man. <laughs> he said, they kids, they don't know no better. America saw you. America loved you. That's all that matters tonight. And I was like, fuck. He's Damn. right. Yeah. And like, and that shit changed my perspective. It, it it really it really went a long way in changing my perspective on contest comedy, which I wish more comedians would understand that it's not about winning; it's about being seen mm-hmm. by people. That's it. The contest element is injected into comedy so that people at home will watch because no one gives a fuck about comedy. <laughs> We don't want to accept that because we do comedy. But the truth of the matter is comedy just as a regular variety roundabout way of being entertained, not with all of these different ways we have to laugh now between virals and vines and Instagrams and people sending you funny clips. The comedians don't have a monopoly on humor anymore. That's a good point. So, you know, that's why you don't see a lot of these comedy showcase shows where Comedy Central just has five motherfuckers sprinkled across an hour of television. Watch t- tonight comedy and just people just standing and talking. The comedy you nerd like it. me loves those shows. Yeah, but that's because we're old school. Yeah. Man. And it's horrible to even think that that's old school, but it is. It yeah, doesn't, you're right. It doesn't exist anymore. You're the right. only comedy showcase show that's on right now is um, live at Gotham on Access TV, and I believe that's only a direct TV channel. Yeah, I don't have that channel. I don't even think you can get that. It might be on ATTU-verse, but it's not on all homes. Mm -mm. Um, Gotham Comedy Live is what it's called. Um, I've seen some clips of it on the internet, but I've never watched it. whatever the fuck Byron Allen is doing now, (laughs) syndicated and stuff, you know, but the regular... Just five comics on Friday night videos and the comedian. Mm-hmm. No, if it ain't late night television, you'll be hard pressed to just find somebody that you're not that familiar with being allowed to do comedy on our airwaves. The half hour comedy hour. Yeah, you get half hours, yeah. and when you get them, it's a chunk of them in one part of the year. Here's twelve people. We're giving them thirty minutes. Oh, by the way, it's going to be on a Friday night. Which is the worst possible fucking night for television? Yeah, it is. <laughs> so we're gonna we're gonna still do some comedy, but we're gonna put it on a weeknight because we know it's gonna be our weakest rated program, and we would rather put on Workaholics or Key and Peele or Broad City or Crow Show or some stuff that we know will get way more traction than a motherfucker in a goofy half zip standing there talking about smoothies. <laughs> You know, and it's not an indictment on the network fiscally. All of these networks that faded, that quit doing a lot of these stand-up variety shows, you only cancel a show because of ratings, Coach. Yeah, That's the only reason you stop doing something. If you run a network, if it's making you money, it, if it was making, if they were making real money off of that, it'd still be on. Yeah. But it's easier to run an hour special because it's someone everyone's heard of. So, you know, in that regard... It's definitely a different landscape. So if you can get on television at all in any capacity for exposure, do it, even if it is contest comedy. Because at the end of the day, the contest ain't about you. The contest is to hook the people in because nobody wants to watch five motherfuckers just tell jokes. But then the moment I tell you one of them's going to get their dreams crushed, (laughs) 
They're going to talk shit about each other, by the way. Hey, I'm all in. I'm now, in. What? Five people and yeah. one of them cries? Yeah. You promise one of them's going to cry? Uh-huh. I, I'll watch them all do comedy because then I can talk with my buddies and argue about who should have who should have been gutted on TV. <laughs> so that element, once you introduce that element, then it becomes a little bit more viable. Yeah. That's where Last Comic Standing comes from. Um, you know, I was on season seven of Last Comic Standing. I got third place, and it was one of the lowest rated seasons in the history of the show. <sighs> Because there was no drama. Yeah. It was just straight up stand up. It was the only season where there was no challenges, no house, no That's right. stupid bullshit. It was just pure comedy, the way comedy needs to be done. And every comedian on earth screamed and belly ached for him to finally do a season where it's just comedy and no house and don't make it a reality show. And it fucking ate shit yeah. in the ratings. Was that Bill Bellamy? Host? Uh, no, this is Craig Robinson. Greg Giraldo was a judge. Oh, was that? Tasha Legero oh, yeah. and Kendler. This was the year after Bill Bellamy. Oh, yeah. I think Bill did seasons five and six. So those statistics don't lie. People on drama. Yeah. So if you can figure out a way to sprinkle some comedy in with it, hey, hip, hip, hooray. But this notion that you think the network owes the art form this proper presentation, I would love for that. I just think it's a very idealistic view, and that's not going to happen. It's it's very it's extremely unrealistic to think that they are loyal to anything other than the dollar. They got it. You know, the problem is, is there's a uh, all these TV stations have pulled uh, the Cosby Show episodes off. They got to fill those spots with something. Okay. Well, then we'll <laughs> p- plug in Martin. <laughs> there we go. Two two seven. <laughs> Some other. <laughs> black show that <laughs> yes more marla gibbs <laughs> <laughs> replace it with looking different world reruns or looking the george clooney years of er <laughs> that's right <clears throat> so how was uh what are your th- your thoughts on radio these days and your position there I think radio's dying. Yeah. No one wants to accept that, but radio is a dying effing art form that, in my opinion, as internet seeps into the cars more and more, it ain't good for radio. Because once people have more options of Pandora and Spotify and Beats and Music and Jay-Z is about to go up against a lot of these streaming services, I just think that that whole concept is a it's it's very antiquated in that regard and i just don't think people are going to continue to listen to terrestrial radio as we know it going forward if you look at the next generation of kids gen y and the millennials you know i'm a gen xer so i still grew up with the morning jock in my ear every morning on the way to school on the school bus we would listen to the buckwild morning show and couldn't wait to hear the Ricky Smiley prank phone call of the day and stuff like that in Birmingham. These kids grow up with an iPod in there. Yeah. Down. They ain't got no fun. You can ask these kids who their favorite artists are. Ask them who their favorite radio DJ is. They'll fucking stare at you. Or they'll name some dude that doesn't even live in that market. You know, it's it just, it's a totally different place now. You know, and that's changing how you advertise to people, which changes how radio 
you know, functions, you know. Well, that's the thing, okay, like, if, you know, people can pay to listen to some, you know, like satellite radio, just pay a fee, then you're probably not going to really, even though I hear they still slide in commercials on, I don't have satellite radio, but don't they still slide in commercials on, on some the of the music those? channels, yeah, some of the music channels, yeah, there's some, com- there's a lot of commercial-free music channels, but like the sports talk channels, and, you know, every channel on satellite is a commercial-free. Okay. That's definitely not the case. Yeah. And then, like, Spotify, unless you're paying for that app. Yeah, unless you're paying then there's money. A- ads you, there. You get ads every third or fourth song. Yeah. They'll hit you with two or three ads. Mm-hmm. But even then, that's a lot more tolerable because the playlist, the types of songs, the algorithm, the way it's set up to not only based on one song you like, it can, with pretty good accuracy, pinpoint the next 20 songs that you want to hear. Sure. And all right, well, if you like, if you like LL Cool J, well, here's some Houdini, here's some Run DMC, here's some Notorious Big, and we're gonna throw in one Fresh Prince, Jazzy Jeff, and probably eighty percent of those songs you would be okay with. Yeah. Versus terrestrial radio, where they're gonna play the twelve to fifteen songs that America wants to hear. Yeah. And that's it. 85% of the radio stations are owned by six companies. That's a problem. What you know? about what about just talk then? You know, when there isn't music involved. For people who love talk, I don't think talk will go anywhere. You know, talk is talk, you know, podcasts will probably infringe on that some, but you know, talk radio is still where the bulk of radio listenership is anyway. It's yeah. not even way more people listen to talk than they do listen to music. So that may keep terrestrial stations afloat, but in terms of the music sense, I think it's it's, it's going to be a lot of dead stations 10 to 15 years from now. And I also feel like to blame for that are the radio stations themselves for going to a more centralized national playlist instead of, you know, cooking up something a little more local with a little more local flair. Mm-hmm. Um, get the taste of where they live. Get a taste of what you, the people why, where you live, what they like. Um, yeah, I'll tell you two very interesting radio markets for urban for urban music is New Orleans and Memphis because they play more local artists than they do out-of-towners. Okay. And it gives the stations a very specific identity. So if you're a local and you want to hear stuff that has a little bit more of a local flair and feel, that's where you go. And they do well. It's harder as an out-of-towner to get on the radio there. And, you know, I can't speak for a lot of other markets, but, you know, there's a lot of places where, you know, these stations are sent a 50-song playlist every month from corporate, and they go, these are the 50 songs. Oh, disgusting. We did our testing and research and all of this shit. These are the songs you will play. Here's the top 20. Play these more than the other 30, but make sure you sprinkle in these other 30. But these are your 50 songs. Yeah. Taylor so. Swift. Make sure Taylor Swift is in there somewhere. Oh, my goodness gracious. <laughs> <laughs> Haters going to hate, 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 hate. <laughs> You've heard it. <laughs> and then we'll put in some. Hey, uh, for people that are haven't didn't hear the first time you were on this podcast, we covered extensively your history in doing the prank phone calls. So we're not going to spend really, <laughs> but we talked about it because I loved hearing about it. But people can go back and listen to that first one. But I did, I do want to ask you one question about that stuff. Mm-hmm. I saw an, some interview you did within the last year, and you said you had something in the works, possibly some last prank going out with a bang. One last album. 
I'm going to do it this year. Oh, you are? Yeah. I've already started production. I'm probably three pranks in. It's a lot harder to do now yeah. than when I started because back in the day it was easy to do pranks because my mind was more juvenile. It, it sounds crazy, but even the things that we find funny, that palate changes. I'm 36. I started doing prank calls when I was 21. Yeah. So the stuff that I find funny just isn't the same. The things that I would say to people isn't the same. Yeah. So it's harder to get a rise out of people now because now I actually care about their feelings. <laughs> and, you know, you, there's a certain level of recklessness that sure. you need <laughs> to be any type of prankster, whether it's Johnny Knoxville, jackass type stuff or impractical jokers on true TV, like to do yeah. anything silly where you're fucking with other people, man. It requires a little, like I just, it's like top gun. I might've lost the edge. <laughs> I got to turn my wings in, you know? I I, I think I have, but uh, I got enough in me to get one more prank call CD out there because what I've discovered over the past couple of years is so many more people discovering the pranks, and so that's been a blessing in that it's always garnering me new fans. That's good. You know, prank calls have probably sold me more tickets than any television appearance. Really? Yeah. There's people that come solely off of a prank phone call some three-minute clip they heard. There's no razzle-dazzle to that. There's no production to that. There's no famous white guy in a, sitting at a desk <laughs> introducing the prank. No. It's, you made me laugh so hard that I thought it'd be worth 15 bucks to come see what the fuck you got to say to yeah. me. And if people love me to that point, you know what? Here's one more. Let's you know what? Let's let's go around the block one more time. Oh, that's good. That's cool. Almost man. as a show of appreciation to all of those people, and you know, and I've tried my best to keep a list of those folks that have come to the shows because they're going to be the ones to get. A, you know, I want them to get the CD for free. Awesome, really. You know, get it to them in advance. You know. Well, I was. Yeah. I mean, as I told you, I was always a huge fan of the <laughs> <laughs> advance copies for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> I uh there's just something I got I have to share while it's still fresh in my head here. It's just like there's a story fr- from a friend of mine. I want to share it with you and get mm-hmm. your thoughts on it. Like literally while I was sitting here, I came here and had lunch before you got here and I was getting the most recent updates on the story I'm about to share with you. So here's oh, in fact, I just got another update. They just keep coming. So anyway, uh, I was doing, you know, the morning radio thing on uh, the other day, right? Okay. Tuesday morning, about 6.30, I started getting text messages from a friend of mine, 6.30 in the morning. And I'm like, what the fuck are you still doing up? And he told me, have you heard of the drug Molly? Yeah, Molly. Yeah. It's like, a gen- I don't want to say genetically modified, but chemically modified ecstasy. Yes. Yes. It's, it's ecstasy, like, dipped in meth. Yeah. Sound- Not literally, but, like, just bad. Yeah, sounds he his stories. I, I'm thankful that stuff wasn't around. I don't Step think. Step above bath salts. Yeah, like when I was when I would have ever tried that, that wasn't around, and now I'm too old <laughs> to try that stuff. <laughs> so, anyway, he texted. So I said, "What the fuck are you doing up so early?" And he, uh, of course, he was up. He had been up all night doing Molly, and he tells me that he and his friend found a party on Craigslist. Well, that's a great party. And ended up at these people's apartment playing Monopoly. On Molly. On Molly. 
That is the longest game of Monopoly ever. <laughs> so I asked him. I said, I got to know. How how did uh, – what, what was the ad? What did the ad say on Craigslist that you found? <laughs> here, and here we go. This, this is what I was just asking him right before, before you got here today, Roy. He says, it was 4 a.m., so I searched the casual encounters section with no filtering to see if anything was even recently posted. Then I saw it. It looks like they deleted it, but it said this. No sex expected. That's how it started. That's polite. No sex expected. Two friends, one male, one female, just hanging out and smoking, looking for someone to come over. Repeat, no sex expected. So then he just wanted a friend. Yeah. So then he tells me, he replied, uh, he said, hey, just two guys up late uh, after the bar looking to chill and smoke. Sex expected. <laughs> Hashtag sex expected. <laughs> and, then, uh, and then he said they asked for selfies. So he and his buddy took selfies and sent them to him, which oh, God. I, I know. The, I the, look at you to know you're cool. Motherfucker, you're on Craigslist. <laughs> Four in the morning. Friends. <laughs> exactly. So they posted a pic. Uh, but they couldn't tell who was who because when they got there, it was uh, some Asian, uh, some Asian gay guy and this huge woman. So my buddy and uh, so my buddy and his friend, as he said, they just kept rolling Molly and ended up playing Monopoly. And then at one point, the chick uh, offered them some muscle relaxers, but they turned them down. Really, that's the most boring Craigslist encounter. I, <laughs> I thought Molly like makes you like eat gravel and get horny and to put your dick in a blender like it's like if ecstasy is the sexual mm-hmm. drug molly is its deviant s&m counterpart that just makes you grit your teeth until you know them down to the gum line <laughs> Some yeah. Shit. Yeah. that's that's odd i would have just left stuff like that i would have just left now you got me curious about what the hell else is on craigslist in minneapolis i'm gonna go i'm gonna have to investigate that you got some time. You're here through Saturday. Put right? up a Craigslist <laughs> ad for my show. Yeah, there you go. Wear blue hat to my show. <laughs> no sex expected. I'm Doctor David. If you can guess me, you can have. If you can guess which one of, if you can guess who in the room is Doctor David, you can have me. Come up and introduce yourself from Craigslist. <laughs> you got to do it now. Yo, that would be fucking hilarious if I did that shit. But uh, I don't know what kind of people would show. Please, black chicks only. <laughs> Fat asses. Like, <laughs> that would be a funny social experiment to see if people can figure it out. It's like a freaking good dick scavenger hunt. Yeah, yeah. Do you want to get dick down tonight? <laughs> if you can find me, you can have me. Come to Acme Comedy Company. <laughs> I got to tell you, Roy, you're... Uh your social media posts when you describe things as thug life or keeping it thug or anything like that. I sip lattes. I do what I do. <laughs> so or the hot chocolates in a whispered tone because I don't want to be embarrassed. <laughs> so funny. Yeah, I need a tall hot chocolate. Okay, a tall hot chocolate with Maka. What else do you want, sir? Fucking bitch, listen. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. <laughs> like I whisper like a fucking bank robber when I uh, listen. Just give me the fucking hot chocolate and put the iced tea in the bag. <laughs> I don't want to hurt nobody. Okay, just give me a hot chocolate. <laughs> okay, you want a hot chocolate? <laughs> do you do you want whipped cream on the hot chocolate? Yes, I said a hot. Cho- <laughs> I said I want it all the way, bitch. What the fuck? 
do you think I don't? Do you think I didn't want? So yeah, that's that's the thug life I live. Man. Mm-hmm. I'm a good person. Are you uh, are you selling your most recent CD? Uh, yeah, at the I, shows. Yeah, I have that at the shows. Uh, Things I think I think is my first comedy album. Um, you know, people welcome to get it. They can buy it online or whatever if they want. Yeah, I should lower the price. Maybe make it seven dollars or something. Maybe I should up the price and make it collector's edition. Sell one a week for fifty dollars. <laughs> <laughs> There's another experiment. <laughs> Probably sell more. Some weird social experiment on assigning value to stuff. I watch brain games on Net Geo, and they talk about that shit. Like what? Uh, if you give, if you just price something higher, people perceive it to be of more value. Yeah. Even though it's like you sell a CD for five dollars, everybody walks by it. But if you sell it for twenty. They think it's oh yes, which is insane considering that yeah. I'm not I'm no Grammy winner. I wouldn't pay twenty dollars for CDs of people that are popular. Yeah, this podcast is free, but if people want to pay for it, by all means, start a Kickstarter. Yeah, by all means, send some money over. Set up a set up a subscription. Yeah, we're cool. <laughs> <laughs> I said a prescription. You know what I meant? The latest the latest subscription cold medicine. <laughs> Anything else? What else is in the man, near future for Roy Wood Jr.? That's it, man. Um, I'm blessed enough to be working with ESPN these days doing Sports Nation. So I get on there pretty regularly. Um, so that's been a good thing. Um, and then, you know, just working on a few show ideas and trying to push scripts through and stuff like that. And, you know, that's it, man. I'm, I'm out here working yeah. as hard as I can. How about uh, any quick thoughts? I'm curious. Super Bowl? Did you enjoy watching it? I didn't really watch it. I was at a party with somebody more famous than me, so you just have to cheer whichever way the famous person cheered. What? I was just embarrassed. Because, you know, it's one of those places where, I, I won't say who, but I'll, I'll tell you off the mic. But okay. it's like all of his friends were like, well, if that's how he's cheering, then that's how I'm going to cheer. And I was like, all right, well, I don't want to be the one asshole in the room rooting for Seattle even though he has the black quarterback. <laughs> That's always my rule. You always root for the black quarterback. Yeah. There's only been two, three, four, uh, McNabb. There's been a lot. He's only the second one to have won a Super Bowl, Russell Wilson. Doug Williams was the other. Yeah, first. So anytime there's a chance for a black quarterback to get another ring, I tend to pull the race card. <laughs> yeah. We thought we were going to give you Randall Cunningham in 1998. Nope. You also thought you'd give us Donovan McNabb in 2004. Uh-huh. What was that 05 with Terrell Lawrence? The vomit game? Yeah. I don't remember. It was the Patriots' first Super Bowl. Yeah, so that's it, man. You know, I'm, I'm lucky enough to take a lot of lessons away from Sullivan and Son and then time that I was on TBS to roll that into other opportunities. And with that education – now I'm able to really go out and write tighter scripts and really, you know, do some shit that I think is meaningful, you know, way meaningful. So, you know, I'm very happy for that right now. Nice. So well, I will – uh, I know people that follow this podcast. I will let them know as soon as that uh, CD of yours drops. Uh, June, July-ish is kind of what we're looking at. That's the ballpark. So 
Once it's out, I'll spread word to you. Might even come up with a special free download code. Here we go. For fans of the podcast. Now we're talking. <laughs> Roy, thank you. Thank you for it's having me. It's been great. Good times.